Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over a hundred different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Notice how much better you will feel by having a consistent practice to support you staying centered. Now for Mental Health Awareness Month in May, I am excited for every podcast episode that is released this month, I will have a new exciting offer to support you prioritizing your mental health. So this week for the first five people who sign up to Centered in the City after listening to this podcast, you will get a free one-on-one coaching session with me where I will support you anchoring into your ritual, helping you design it, answering any of your questions, and as getting really clear on your values and what you want to be creating. So head on over to centeredinthecity.org, sign up, be the first, one of the first five people to sign up, and we will email you and welcome you to then schedule a one-on-one session with yours truly. Welcome back to the Center in the City podcast. Today, I am so excited to have Banu Harrison with us. She is a licensed clinical social worker, and she is a meditation teacher from UCLA, as well as a trauma-informed mindfulness facilitator who taught at UCLA. So she happened to be one of my teachers during my training. And Banu just has such a wealth of knowledge and passion for our nervous system, for what's happening within us around trauma and processing trauma within the body and mind, as well as building our self-regulation techniques and skills. So I'm so excited to have her on this podcast because when I learned about my nervous system and really connected to that layer of my body, it completely changed the way that I relate to my anxiety. It changed the way I related to my body. It was just a very powerful shift. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and get a lot of awareness about your own nervous system, about how you can work to gain some self-regulation techniques and how our meditation practice helps us build awareness of what's happening inside the body. So settle in and let's get centered. Banu, welcome to the Centered in the City podcast. Oh, thanks for inviting me. I think there's this misconception out there that as meditation teachers and as a social worker and, you know, as somebody who's in the mental health 
field that nothing rocks your socks, that you have the ability to handle it all, that your toolkit is so full, you know, that you know what to bring out when. But tell us about a time when you weren't centered and even how you just met yourself in that moment. I find that the times when I go off center is with interpersonal communication. You know, there will be times when, um, you know, someone in my family makes a comment to me and it's a little sidewise, com you know, comment. And it's like, is that a compliment or not? Or like the, the, that kind. And so when I first noticed that that wobble inside of me, what I try to do is go inside and it's like, okay, what's happening inside me right now? Oh, I feel a little constriction in my chest. Ooh, I'm sinking in my stomach. Ooh, I'm kind of, um, there's a dropping sensation that didn't feel good, right? And so I try to name my experience in the moment and to name that I'm having a reaction to this comment. And, you know, typically I try to work with it myself before just, you know, reactively saying, what did you say that for? <laughs> you know, um, and I try to just say, okay, where's this coming from? Is this, am I being triggered from something in the past? Mm. Is this, did I have an expectation here about something? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So I try to be, you know, mindful of, of that. Um, I also just recently went to see my mom who turned 100. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah, Happy nine, nine days ago. Yes. Wow. And what a gift. And she can push my buttons, right? Like all parents can. Mm -hmm. And so as I've cared for her, you know, over the last nine years more intensely, um, you know, I've just had to like take a deep breath. And it's like, she's 100 years old. Mm. And I have to notice how old do I feel right now? Mm. And a lot of times with my mom, because she's the only parent I have left, it's like, oh, I feel like a teenager. She just made a comment about my hair. <laughs> and it's like, I feel this rebelliousness coming up. And it's like, wait a minute. She's 100. She, you know, whatever. <laughs> you yeah. know, so, but I, I have to, you know, for me to be able to stay present with her and kind and patient, I need to reflect on what's happening inside of me, where's this coming from, and then, you know, take a few breaths, feel my feet, or if it lasts longer, I have to just be really kind to myself mm. and just say, oh, this is so hard right now. Mm -hmm. This is mm -hmm. so hard. Mm. Yeah, um, you just shared so many things I want to touched on. <laughs> and I'm curious, like, how do you think your meditation practice helps you tune in to notice what's happening in your internal system so that you can meet yourself in that moment? You know, I'm trained as a clinical social worker and specifically in somatic experiencing, which is a, a body-centered somatic um, practice for resolving and unwinding trauma. And so a big part of that process is something called interoception, which is the ability to track sensations in the interior of our body, sensations in organs, in muscles, tension, looseness, gurgling, those kinds of things. So 
I've had 20 years of training in tracking my own sensations and helping other people track sensations. So it's a real easy go-to for me. And I had a prior career as a body worker. So I also had the touch experience of touching bodies as a professional and sensing shifts and changes in the physiology of my clients systems as I worked on them. Mm. So, so that has been very helpful. Why do you think that having language for what's happening in the body, the interception work, because I do that a lot with my clients as well, the somatic work, I have felt that's been huge for my own growth and I see it with my clients, but tell us what's kind of happening and why it's important to explore the present moment experience through sensation, especially what's happening on the inside. So our bodies are always in present time, always. So what, when I have an emotional response to something that's said to me, whether I may be having an anxiety loop in my head, if I don't take it to the body, I'm always kind of in the future or the past, or I'm running my storyline. Mm-hmm and things don't shift but if i can just say okay wait a minute oh boy my throat is really tight and my my heart is beating oh i i must be feeling a little worried or anxious about something you know what it does for me is like okay these are sensations in the moment i can drop the storyline and i can attend to what would help my body feel a little more comfortable right now right so it, it kind of takes this, you know, huge thing that I might be spinning in my head or my emotions might be really heavy or edgy. And I just bring it right back to the present moment because the body is always in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that you're normalizing that because sometimes I think people can get a little like, whoa, that sounds woo-woo to turn in and be like, you know, do I feel heat or tingles in my body right now? But it is, it's grounding us into what's here and now versus in the head and the stories or the future tripping or the rumination that, it, that we're so easily entangled in. Yes, and, and the key thing here is whatever our mind and emotions do, our body follows, mm-hmm. right? So if I am tripping out into the future and worrying about something, my body is going to experience as if that is happening right now. Mm-hmm. So the anxiety that I might feel about something 10 years down the road is, it's not even happening in the present moment. Like, mm-hmm. but my body's responding as if, cause the body is only in the present time. And so by paying attention to my physiology, to what's happening inside of me, it makes a huge difference. And um, for those interested in, um, a a really good book. It's kind of an older read right now by Candace Pert. It's called Molecules of Emotion. And she did some of the beginning work with the um, receptor sites, the lock and key system early in like the 60s and 70s. And she said every emotion has a a neurotransmitter correlate in our body. And that the gut and the digestive system, as you probably know, have the second highest density of neurotransmitter receptor sites, second only to the brain. And so when we have these organ sensations, it's because we have a lot of neurological features in our organ system that responds to what's happening in the world. 
another little point, um, I love polyvagal theory by Stephen Porges, and I teach that a lot. And it's such a great operating guide to what are, what, how does our physiology work? And you may have heard of the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve is really important for rest and digest and to be in our window of tolerance. And 80% of the fibers of the vagus nerve pick up sensory information from the external world and our organ system and bring that up to our level of consciousness. 80% is incoming wow. mm -hmm. sensory information that our vagus nerve is, you know, bringing to our heart and to our head. And so that's a lot, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so paying attention to that is so important. That reminds me when I went on a silent meditation retreat and the theme was body wisdom. And so the lens in which we were practicing was purely from the wisdom that is in our body. And I remember leaving that retreat and just being like, what would it be like to just make decisions through the lens of the body? And it felt so good for like, you know, the first 12 hours right after right. coming back home after the retreat to kind of have that lens. And then, damn, you know, the mind takes over and things get so hectic and busy and the mind, you know, becomes the driver versus the body. And it's such a practice to yeah. anchor back into the body and let the body lead and yes. the mind turn off to use a phrase well, from one of my Yes. Mentors. And, you know, my mind doesn't turn off very easily. Mm -hmm. But what I've noticed is that. that if I turn my mind to be curious about what's happening in my body, it gives the mind a task to do. Mm -hmm. which is more focused and attentive and most of the time kind for me now. <laughs> but, you know, so it's still working, but it's got a task that is going to, you know, push me towards a, a more regulated state. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so let's talk about this regulation. Like, what does it mean to self-regulate and why do we care? Why should people care about having some self-regulation techniques and awareness? So yeah, so self-regulation is our innate ability to come into balance, to be able to modulate our thoughts, our emotions, our body for the situation at hand. And, you know, we're a very, you know, we live in the United States and there's a lot of emphasis placed on self-help, self-processes, self-regulation. We learn to self-regulate as infants and children through co-regulating with other people in our lives. We are inherently a social creature. We are, you know, we have this beautiful vagus nerve that only the ventral vagus is only found in mammals. And it's all about connecting with others for safety and joy and happiness. And so we are constantly looking for people that feel safe, that we can co-regulate with. As children, we learn skills through, if we've had appropriate regulated parenting, mm -hmm. we grow our nervous system so that we can manage the modulations of, of life that happens and have some skill with it. Mm. Um, we don't, we're not born with this, you know, it's, it's not like either you're born with it or not. This is a skill that can be grown and developed and not just in a solitary way, like co-regulating with other people is 
is really important. And I'm sure you have found this like in meditation practices, meditating alone is great. Meditating in a group, especially if it's in-person live group, is a whole different experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And this piece around co-regulation, not all of us were gifted parents or caretakers that were able to have the capacity to co-regulate in maybe a supportive way with us. And especially in the last few years, as we've navigating the pandemic and there's a lot more isolation mm -hmm. and we're not around maybe people who are as regulated or I'm even noticing like in partnerships, right? Some one might be more regulated than the other, or, you know, like it's very interesting how our nervous systems feed off of each other. Yes. Um, and so it's, tell us a little bit more about like, how can people recognize their own nervous systems and work to empower themselves to find their own self-regulation? Yeah, what a great question. I could talk for hours on this, so I'll try, I know, I try to be- <laughs> I love this. I love this. There's so much sustained. wisdom around this. So we we have a built-in kind of radar system that Stephen Porges, who developed polyvagal theory, calls neuroception. And it's kind of under the level of our conscious awareness. And it's the ability of our nervous system to scan for safety or danger in our outside environment within our own bodies and between us and another. So we have neuroception in three dimensions, in the environment, external environment, internal body environment, and between each other. And so I like to think of neuroception like your Norton antivirus program on your computer that is always scanning in the background, but most of the time you don't even know it's working, hmm. right? And so we pick up cues from the environment, from people, from inside of our body that we label due to past experience as either safe or not safe. Mm -hmm. This and is where the mind can get a little judgy, right? We have yes. to be, yes. And it's actually, you know, not so much the conscious mind mm -hmm. because our nervous the system, bias. yeah, our nervous system is basically designed to either protect or connect? Mm -hmm. What is a choice? Can I connect right now in this environment with this person, with myself, or do I need to protect myself? And the body will always prioritize protection over connection, right? Because it, you know the nervous system is, is, is uniquely designed to keep us alive. Alive, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, the beautiful thing about neuroception is as we get curious about our body, about our reactions, about our thoughts that we're having in a situation, you know, that mindfulness piece, noticing what's happening in the present moment with curiosity, openness, and non-judgment, we can say, oh, when that person walked in the room, ooh, I tightened up. Oh, huh, interesting. There's some detection of not safe. So, you know, and so that's like the first little glimmer, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, oh, does this person remind me of somebody from my past where maybe there was a threat? You know, is there, um, do I have any experience with this person? Mm -hmm. This is where biases come in, yeah. right? And, you know, it, and then orienting is like, okay, in this room with these people, with that person, am I safe enough, right? Mm -hmm. 
do I really need to have this? Um, Deb Dana um, has a great kind of inquiry question of, in this environment, doing this activity with these people, is it necessary for this reaction to be happening for my protection? Mm. Right? And or is this something from my past that's reminding me of something that was dangerous in the past right. and just trying to protect me? And so it brings it right into the present moment in this environment with these people doing this thing. Are my responses appropriate? Mm -hmm. Are they necessary? And in some cases, you know, and this is where COVID kind of really skewed things because all of a sudden our neuroception when we were out and about got really skewed to we all really got good at six feet right right <laughs> figuring out where the six feet line is and oh that person's not wearing their mask right, right. and oh you know i don't feel not safe. even make eye contact because yes 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 and those are all the features of this ventral vagal system that help us detect safety with others is languaging, how our modulation of our voice, our smile, our facial expressions, our eye contact, all of those things help promote safety. Yeah. And so many of those were taken away mm -hmm. with with COVID. Mm -hmm. And so more people are a little more hypervigilant mm -hmm. now. That's that neuroception kind of being on guard for things. And it's it's had an effect, right? Yeah. You know? I just want to give it even a live example to what you're highlighting. Yesterday, my husband and I were on the train coming back from the airport. We're exhausted. Our train is stopped because of a delay with, you know, another train on the track. And this man who's in our car is definitely having some sort of mental breakdown or, or something where he's kind of screaming. He's not hurting anybody, but he's kind of hitting his, his head and, and screaming in his own way. And we're sitting pretty close to him. And it first happened, it was kind of like, oh, I could feel my nervous system get like, oh, let's be on guard. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm there with my husband, right? So we're connecting your co-regulation co-regulate yeah <laughs> and then also in the space right with everybody else who's in the train and i'm i'm there and he's you know continue to scream my nervous system is different than my husband's my husband's a little bit more kind of grounded i start to get like oh let's maybe think about moving and in that moment i noticed i had to pause to check in with myself and say okay are you really feeling unsafe and need to move and be able to articulate this to your husband or can you stay here and just breathe and be with it and kind of you know let the experience continue to happen because what i notice is sometimes we can get into arguments if i don't ask for what i need in that moment with my nervous system because okay. I can't assume that he knows that I'm spiking right. as high or getting as activated as I am. And he's having his own experience. And so it's so important to have this insight into our nervous system because our nervous system is really running the show. And I don't think yes. we realize how much power it really has over us. Yes, exactly. I have another example, very kind of similar to yours, um, a clinical example. I was working with two sisters once independently in individual sessions, and I taught them about polyvagal theory. You know, when you're too high in your sympathetic, 
which Stephen Poor just calls at the yellow zone or too collapsed during your freeze response in the red zone and not in your green window of tolerance where things are flowing. And so, you know, they, one of them shared that, yeah, we had an argument during a family dinner and boy, I went yellow. I went right into my sympathetic and the other person's, you know, we started to haggle. And then my sister said, you know, I can't do this now. I'm in my freeze red zone. Mm -hmm. um, can we both talk when we're green? Let's check in later in the week. And so the one that was in the sympathetic called a few days later saying, I'm back in my green zone. I'm willing to talk about this now. Let me know. And the one that was in the red zone and her freeze collapse said, no, I'm not quite back there yet. And so another couple of days went by and then they were able to talk about it. Mm. And the beauty of it was it wasn't a thing of like, well, what's wrong with you? How come you can't talk with me about this? It's just like my nervous system is not in the place where I can have an open, clear discussion with you yeah. about what happened. Yeah. And knowing that if they probably connected when they were in their yellow or red zones, you know, things would be said that they didn't really mean, right? right? Or yes, things would be interpreted in a very different way and how important it is to connect when you are in your green zones. Yes. And, you know, the person that's in their fight, flight, sympathetic is going to want to fight, mm -hmm. right? Which can push the person in their freeze collapse even deeper into the freeze mm -hmm. where they want to disconnect, where they want to move away, where they don't want to talk. Mm -hmm. And then there, and, there can be shame on both sides, you know, like, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, right. um, so. And to have language around it is huge because that way they can communicate and then have compassion for one another and where they are or sense of understanding of where they are, whether they're in their fight or flight or in their collapse zone. And, and then have a little bit more understanding of, okay, like, this is a process. Mm -hmm. We're not frozen like this. Yes. You know, I think the temporariness of our nervous system responses is really important to understand and to realize it flows like water and it will eventually kind of flow into a different state. Yes. Yes. So another great question um, is, what does my nervous system need right now? Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And when we understand the nervous system, like if you're in your fight, flight, yellow activated zone to sit still for a meditation, oh, that can be really hard. Right. Because that yellow sympathetic nervous system is all about mobilization. So I'm going to go ride my bike or I'm going to do a 10 minute walk or I'm going to do, you know, 30 seconds of jumping jacks. Mm -hmm. Right. We can all fit that in. You know, just to like, whoo, let's, let's process, you know, it. process mm -hmm. the system I'm in. You know, what is my, what is my nervous system now? Do I need to talk with someone to connect, to feel safe? Do I need to just be quiet for a bit? Do I need some comforting touch of my own hand on my heart or my arm? Mm. Do I need to slow down my breathing or speed up my breathing if I feel too collapsed? Do I need to drink water? or eat something. Mm -hmm. So I had a client once that had a brilliant idea. She um, was grieving a, a sudden loss of her partner and she would just be tsunamied with grief and just, just not know what to do and be very, very overwhelmed and dysregulated. And so we talked about resources, right? To help us self-regulate back into ideally our green zone where we're in our ventral vagal, where we're safe and feeling connected and more present. And the challenge is that when we 
get dysregulated, our prefrontal cortex of our brain can't think straight and we forget yep. what our resources are mm -hmm. and our skills. So she cut, she, she wrote down all the things that she could do when she was in her green settled state, cut them up into strips, put them in a mason jar, and then cut out an orange life jacket picture from the internet. And this was her life jacket jar, right? Yeah. Like when she felt like she was going to be tsunamied by grief and overwhelmed, she can't stop the overwhelm, right? But she could put on a life jacket of her resources mm -hmm. and zip it up and ride on top of the wave better mm -hmm. instead of being pulled under. Mm -hmm. And it was simple things like look at the mountains through the window, get a drink of water, stretch, pet your dog, you know, and really feel the fur, um, eat something, take a deep breath, right? So these are all very accessible resources yeah. that everyone can incorporate. And the fact that she had a jar so that when she knew she couldn't think of them, she could just pull one out. And it didn't really matter which one she pulled mm -hmm. because they were all going to help move her, you know, slowly and gradually back into more regulation. I love that idea. And pointing out the pre-work that she did, right? That she was intentional about creating a list of things that support her coming back to her green zone, to this balanced, regulated state, place them in that jar because we can't learn how to swim in a tsunami. So when she was feeling that tsunami, right, she could just pull something out and connect with it. Yes. But she did the pre-work to support herself having that life jacket available. Yes. And so I recommend to all my clients and students, you know, write this in, in, put it in your phone. Yeah. You know, write a document, put it in your notes, you know, things to help me come back to balance. Mm -hmm. Right. And it can be all sorts. Of, I mean, what is it that you enjoy? What is it that brings you a sense of calm or delight? You know, maybe it's noticing colors in your environment. Maybe it's drawing. Maybe, you know, I'm a knitter, so I knit every day and it's just so wonderful. Mm. Gardening, cooking, you know, really mindfully taking your morning drink and just really tasting and sensing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Laughing with another, you know, talking with a friend, prayer, faith, yoga. I mean, there's just an endless. endless. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And this is a lot of what we do at Centered in the City, and I call them rituals. It's like, how do we have these rituals already built into our day so that we are having something that keeps us grounded and balanced, and it helps us stay a little bit more resourced so that when we do have these spikes in our day, which are completely natural and normal, especially in this modern day world we're living in with wars and pandemics and constant, you know, sense of connection to technology, that we have something that is already kind of built in us. It's already in our muscles that we can come yes. back to. So I want to give just a little snippet of how to practice embodying your resources. Please. <clears throat> because a lot of people, I'll just lead you through it. Okay. So, um, so I would like you to think of a resource that works for you. Wade? Mm, I'll say um, finding some stillness and breathing, like resting into oh, the back okay. of my body, like sitting <clears throat> in the okay. chair. So as you think about that, that is the first step of how to really resource. Ah, 
breathing and feeling the backside of my body and you know you're you're already more body centered than most people <laughs> so the second step of really embodying the resource is as you take some breaths and notice the back of your body what begins to happen next that you can notice i noticed all that tension that typically goes into like my neck and shoulders that kind of either gearing up to to fight or to hide that kind of like curling inwards that happens with a stress reaction starts to just kind of melt down my back and my heart opens up more like yeah. the front side of my body opens up more softens so stay with that just a little bit longer if you can and keep being curious to see what happens next with your body with this softening this heart opening and that support of the breath in the backside of your body there's this like internal like ah yeah so this is something that is missed often when people say okay everyone ground yourself and then they move on mm -hmm. that's just the first step right so for me you know i live in new mexico and we have really big sky and so for me the sky is a resource so when i look at the sky that is a resource and i could just stop there it's like oh sky yes beautiful sky but the most important piece is, and as I look at the sky, what begins to happen in my body? Mm -hmm. And then staying with that, because this is how we're wired, is that we go up into activation in our sympathetic or our freeze response very quickly, because we're wired for protection. But to come down out of that activation and settle into more regulation takes so much longer mm. because our body has to metabolize and process stress hormones, cortisol, adrenaline, you know, all the stuff that's been held in the freeze response. It takes time to come back into regulation. Mm -hmm. And so the additional inquiry question of what do I notice beginning to happen in my body when I think of or do my resource mm. and then what do I continue to notice you know and just stay with it a little bit longer because our bodies don't come back into regulation as quickly as they go up into activation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and it's something you might have taught me this of when you see animals in nature right like a gazelle getting chased by a lion and they escape and get away at the end of that stress reaction that the gazelle just had they then shake and yes, they're quiver shake stomp snort and they're letting that energy go from that stress reaction that yes fight flight freeze reaction that just happened in them to come back to their regulated state but as humans we don't really have that practice innately in us and so it's really important for us to resource to self-regulate yes we actually do have that process innately in us but our mind overrides it right right and it's so not, it's not kind of also like socially acceptable right. yeah and you know there are some you know trauma release exercises that where you consciously okay we'll just shake 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 mm -hmm. 
you know, they may be helpful for some people, but it's not a process that's organically arising out of the body. It's kind of top down, like I'm going to decide to shake and maybe that will help my reaction. And for some people, they may get some benefit, but I haven't found it to be as effective as more organically arising um, body because the shaking is often so subtle that it's barely visible when the body starts to unwind this but coming using our resources embodying our resources is such a helpful way to let the body know that we're safe now yeah yeah right but i want to ask you about how does this process of self-regulation how can it support us navigating burnout as so many people are experiencing burnout yeah. as we're entering into this third year of the pandemic. Right. So, you know, burnout happens when we have, you know, our demands exceed our capacity in the moment. And especially when that happens on a chronic pattern, day after day after day after day. And so, you know, there's, there's several pieces to that. It's like, how are we rebooting ourselves daily to, you know, um, to fill our own well, so to speak, but it also, you know, is about the window of tolerance, right? When we have a very narrow window, when we've been pressed and overworked and the demands are too much, our window of tolerance, which is our capacity to be with what's happening in a somewhat regulated way, mm-hmm. right? We can have ups and downs, but it doesn't throw us into a high sympathetic fight flight or a freeze collapse low. When we, are, when we can stay in our window and have a wide window, we experience less burnout. Mm-hmm. So what, you know, here's like kind of another preparatory thing. What kinds of activities and mental states help you restore yourself, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, burnout goes into a lot of different things, some of which is boundary setting. Um, I find for myself that when I get resentful, of someone or something, an experience or a duty or demand, that I'm out of my window, mm-hmm. that I, I have not set an appropriate boundary, mm-hmm. and I'm a little pissed and resentful for it. Yeah. And so I need to look again then at how can I set a mindful boundary. If I can't say no, then my yes doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Well, I think just circling back to what you said about when your demands exceed capacity and just like awareness of what is your capacity in this moment? Yes. How can you either resource and fill your cup to have more capacity or how can you set a boundary of like, no, I am at capacity or I'm below capacity and I need, you know, X, Y, and Z kind of going back to that question, right? Of like, what, what nurtures you or what do you need in this moment? Yes, exactly. And, you know, our capacity changes day to day. Yep. It's not a static thing, right? Because our capacity is affected by how much sleep we got the night before, mm-hmm. how much sugar you ate, how much yeah. caffeine you had, if there was some interpersonal conflict, mm-hmm. if there was some bad news that really affected you, if you're in pain. Yeah. All of those things have a direct impact on our capacity on any given day, on any given moment. Oh, oh my God, Banu, <laughs> I could keep talking to you about this for hours. I, I love, know. I love this. And we can do a part two down the road. Yeah, exactly. We'll have you we'll have you back on the podcast because this is such important information for people to be empowered 
with yes. and by that also that their nervous system because I used to have this belief that my nervous system had its own mind that I couldn't connect with it and be with it and not about controlling it but just being in relationship to it in a more supportive helpful way yeah and you gave me a lot of language to that that helped me then have a have a sense of empowerment around how I get to navigate this world Yes, yes. And, you know, for many of my psychotherapy clients, they have this stunned look and when they start to understand the physiology, it's like, you mean I'm not crazy? Right. That, that this is Everybody just Everybody has this? Yes, like my body is just doing its thing to protect me based on my history and what's happening in the moment. And I can have an impact on that. Like, I can interact with this thing called my body and my nervous system and I can be kind to it and I can nurture it and I can nourish it and I can understand it more and it can teach me. Yes. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. Such a huge shift. Yeah. Oh, God, what a gift. <laughs> but where can people learn more about you and um, you know how you get to share your gifts with the world? Yes. So my website is www.choosingmindfulness.net. All, all one word, choosingmindfulness.net. I am also a teacher on Insight Timer, and you can, in the search bar, you can choose Banu Harrison, or you could put in Choosing Mindfulness. I probably have, oh, 18 body-based, trauma-informed, somatic meditations on these topics. I have one on embodying your resources, how to track sensations, how to orient to the present moment, working with anxiety, working with anger all in this way of let's see what's happening in our body. I also just um, uploaded four meditations on exploring your neural architecture, which is all about understanding our nervous system. So that's all on Insight Timer. Um, just go to your app store and you can download that and find me there. Amazing. Well, thank you, Banu, and we will definitely have you back on the Alrighty. Thanks, Wade. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Centered in the City podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast as well as share this episode with somebody else you know in your life who could use some more support around self-regulation. Until next time, stay centered.